In today's busy world, it has become harder and harder to find the time to take care of our health. We are spending more hours working behind our desks, sleeping less, and struggling to eat healthy food, impacting on our quality of life. The Sweat Equity Podcast will give you the clarity for achieving optimal health and performance. Hello everyone and welcome to the very first episode of the Sweat Equity Podcast. Today we are really lucky to be joined by John Hall, the CEO of Executive Health Solutions, Australia's largest provider of executive medical assessments. It's fantastic to have John on the podcast as not only is he a high-performing CEO himself, but he will share the insights he has from over 30,000 individuals who come through his clinic every year. John. Welcome to the Sweat Equity Podcast. Thanks, Craig. Uh, it's always good to catch up and, and talk about your personal health, but also about what's going on in, in CEO health uh, across Australia. So maybe let's let's start with you. And, and you started your career as a registered nurse, and now you're CEO of Australia's leading uh, executive health testing company. Talk me through that that evolution. So I did, uh, I did nursing straight out of high school into uni. Um, and then came out and worked as a registered nurse for about a decade, uh, which was a fantastic job, hard job, but a fantastic job. Um, and part of that, uh, worked overseas and I was lucky, I was playing some rugby in London and happened to meet someone from London Underground that wanted to run a cardiac health program for the London Rail and they wanted, you know, a male cardiac nurse to go down and meet with the train drivers. And so I did that and that sort of got me into the health promotion side of things. Uh, came back to Australia and did an exercise science degree and then a Master's of Public Health and then got a job working as an exercise physiologist at Executive Health Solutions or what it was called then and then I just never left. They've had you ever since and uh, I guess how how has your nursing background helped you in in that role of of CEO now? A lot of the conversations I have are health conversations. So, um, you know, I think from a nursing point of view, seeing the clinical is particularly good. Understanding the clinical has been good with the work that we do. But nursing also teaches you to be a good communicator. I mean, I think you have to learn to listen when you're a nurse or to be a good nurse. Um, you also have to have a pretty thick skin, which is you know, sometimes helpful in, in corporate world as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's never life or death, but uh, I'm sure that you, you do need to uh, be quite resilient in that side of things. So I guess along those lines, what, what do you think makes... A good leader or CEO. So the good, I think the good leaders that I've worked with, you know, the skills they have is is you know, and it's a it's a cliche, but they they're actually really good listeners, and by that I mean not just to what's being said, but they pick up you know all the signs of what someone's saying, and and I think good leaders are are able to really listen to what people are telling them, especially when it's perhaps a contrary view to what they hold, and then they've got the ability to make a decision. Um, and I, I think that makes a good leader in that they're, they're consultative, but they own the decision that they make. Um, I know for me that, you know, I've got a good team around me that complement, you know, what I do well and what I'm not so good at. Um, and, you know, we try and have a team that's pretty honest with each other as well, which I think, you know, keeps the CEO in check, but also means the business moves forward, which is, which is you know, the end goal. Yeah, I love that. I love, particularly that first part, we talk about it from coaching and that, it's not necessarily about what we're we're saying to people and the answers that we give, but asking uh, our clients the right questions and, and the better we are at that, the, the better we are able to lead and, and help them. 
Uh, and what about with you with a, a young family and your wife and you both working? What's what's your motivations for staying healthy? Look, I, you know, probably the same as you. I, I consider myself quite lucky because I generally enjoy it. Um, I feel that I generally am better at my job. I'm a better husband, a better father, you know, when I'm healthy and I'm looking after myself. And it's core to, to what I do and it has been my whole professional career. I'm also very lucky that my wife's a health professional and has the same sort of core values. Um, so, you know, for us, it's it's actually just part of what we do. Um, and we have ups and downs like everybody. And, you know, the kids not sleeping and all sorts of things that throw a spanner in the works. But, you know, we always try and get back on track. Um, so, you know, that supportive home really helps. As a CEO, I imagine your time is, is quite in demand as well as, as family life. How do you get around that, that busy epidemic and, and manage around those sort of challenges? It's planning. Uh, the, literally on a Sunday evening, every Sunday evening, my wife and I sit down, look at our calendars, work out what we've got during the week and then work out what can we do. Um, so she gets some exercise sessions in, so I get some exercise sessions in and, and that we still get good family time. So it wouldn't happen unless we actually had that session and we put it on our fridge. We have a diary of what we're actually doing and who does what. Um, the benefit of that is if you miss your session, then you don't get it back. So if it's cold and wet like it was this morning, you still <laughs> got to get up and go. Um, and then also, you know, just conscious of diet. You know, diet's you know, the key driver behind it all as well. And um, but yeah, I, I think those two things is is it all comes down to planning for us and you know, sort of applying those same skills to your home life. Perfect. And we're sitting in your office currently, and uh, I can see the the pride and joy is is sitting in here outside of the. Uh, the lycra and the espressos. Uh, what do you love about cycling? Is obviously your preferred way to, to keep fit. What do you What do you enjoy about it? What does it bring for you? Um, the thing I love about it, which until I started doing cycling, I had no concept. But it's actually, if you're riding in a group or a pack, there's a lot of teamwork involved, and there's a competitive nature to it. And when I stopped playing footy, I missed that team environment. And so cycling is often thought as an individual sport, but it's actually not. Mm. When you cycle you and you're in a group, you actually rely on each other and work for each other. And I really enjoy that teamwork aspect of it. Um, it's also the only time I get my own space, Yeah. Um, you know, away from home and the kids and work. So I love my Sunday rides where I can, you know, ride with mates and then, then grab a coffee and just get some good sort of headspace and, and a good workout as well. So it's actually quite addictive once you get into it. Yeah. Have you ever had periods where, where you've struggled to, to get that motivation to go and, and how did you manage around that? And Mainly, I find that if you get injured or you get out of the routine, that getting back into the routine is hard. Yeah. And, you know, that five o'clock alarm clock is really easy to turn off. Um, but you just got to recognise, or well, for me, I just need to recognise that, you know, if I've had a period off, I'm going to go through a few weeks where it's hard to get back into it, but then then I'll get back into the habit. Yeah, yeah. I think habits are, you know, hard to form and easy to lose. So, you know, I certainly know that if I've been travelling or, you know, been sick or something's gone wrong or, or on holidays, the next couple of weeks is hard. Um, but once you get through that, that habit is, is formed and it's easier to do it. And you mentioned just before some, some of the injuries. Um, I know you've had a, a couple of... Good injuries on, on the bike, What you know, how, how does that affect you and, and how did you uh, overcome those? 
looked like all good cyclists have broken collarbones, um, and that uh, you know that's not a major injury. It's just an inconvenient injury, especially with young kids. Um, you know, it sort of means you can't pick them up or you can't bath them and those sort of things, which puts pressure on on your partner. Um, but look, you know, for all the cycling I've done, there's only really been a, a few injuries in it, and it's just doing the rehab, getting back, and you know, being a bit more sensible on the bike. Do you ever get the white line fever? Of, uh... Look, I, uh, the last injury I did, I had, but I don't have it anymore. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's talk a bit more about, about the clinic here. And, and uh, you have some 40,000 people on your, on your database and have recently developed the Executive Health Index. What do you see as the, the biggest issues facing corporate Australia? Look, the index was, um, was a good thing to develop because it, for the first time in Australia, it used real data, not self-reported data, and it quantified risk by industry. And we got academics involved that reviewed it, signed off on it, got us to change it. And so it was a good valid tool and it was able to identify health risk by industry. And there is differences across industry. But the key things that we've probably seen over the last few years is obviously psychological well-being is a is a, a significant area in corporate Australia. And there's a lot of attention and a lot of work that's being done on that, both by external providers, but also by internal organisations and and really trying to get away from being reactive and be very proactive. So, you know, working upstream um, with interventions to, to stop people getting, uh, you know, or to help reduce the likelihood of people getting at risk. So psychological health is obviously one and that, you know, sleep is incorporated in that. You know, I think with, you know, the digital revolution and people working in different time zones and travel, it's uh, sleep is is a growing concern and we're learning more and more about the effects of, of sleep on, on uh, chronic diseases and ill, Ill health. Um, but, you know, the, the same ones have been there for the last 30 years. Yeah. You know, lack of exercise, you know, poor diet and too much alcohol and, you know, high body composition hasn't changed in 30 years. It's probably got worse. Um, so they're still there. Yeah, it's like people know the answers already and uh, they want the... The magic answer, but I guess when it when it comes to like you say, mental health and resilience and and those challenges, what what do you think is the key piece to, to addressing that? How do you how do you create that change? Look, it's um, I think from a company point of view, you know the companies that are doing it well have programs in place and um, policies in place and resources in place that that enable earlier intervention and also you know, recognising of signs and, and the acceptance that it's okay to seek um, some assistance early, whether that's through outsource, you know, EAP providers or internal um, champions of the program. I think, you know, we've moved away from the days of just having an EAP provider on the website that someone calls if they're in trouble um, to now working with people at an early stage, recognising symptoms, you know, management recognising when someone may be you know, in overload and, and putting some policies and procedures in place to help with it. So, yeah, I think that's been the big shift in my time. Focusing on, on those work practices, yeah. early intervention rather than waiting until those... I'm sure they've become. got a problem. Yeah. And you were saying earlier, going back to the, the Executive Health Index, who is healthier, lawyers, accountants or bankers? Well, it's a changeable it's a changeable measure at the moment. Uh 2017, when we released the index, uh, lawyers were. Um, they did particularly well, and you know I think their smoking rates were like one percent. 
Um, so they did really well in the physical and the medical, not so well in the psychological, but but overall they were doing quite well and then they were closely followed by accountants and bankers. But in 2018, we saw a bit of a shift and we're about to release some data on that where accountant uh, lawyers have dropped down, um, predominantly because of psychological health, um, particularly around stress and depression. Um, so that has dragged them down the rankings. Um, banking has also... Um, done reasonably well, except in psychological health, and obviously, you know, there's a fair bit that's gone on in the in the banking industry over the last twelve months that, that may explain that, um, yeah. or may not. But there's certainly been some things that have happened over the last twelve months. Um, and look, accountants are always up there in the top three, so we, we see a big difference in white collar versus blue collar. Yeah, and I think you know that's a pretty well known phenomenon in the workplace, but we also see that in the um, in the executive space as well. And what are those differences between blue-collar and, and white-collar uh, people that you see come through? Well, we tend to see that um, the white-collar industries tend to do better across most of the measures, particularly the physical measures, the, the blood work, the, the exercise, the diet, those sort of things, they tend to do better. And that's, you know, for a real range of reasons. It can be because the environment they're working is more supportive um, in the, the location and the facilities and the, the attention that's paid to those areas. Um, we also tend to find in some of the blue-collar industries of some of the people that we've seen, you know, some of the workers out on site don't have those access to, to those mechanisms that make good health easier. Um, I mean, one of the things that's interesting is if you have a lawyer in a blue-collar versus a lawyer in a white-collar, you know, same uh, training, same education, but the lawyer in the blue-collar is, is often less healthy. And, right. the, you know, it's hard to pinpoint exactly why that is, but it may be that you know, you, you take on the habits of the workforce that you're in. That's interesting. Yeah, you, you don't really think about the same job, different environment, different outcome. It uh, just shows you how important environment is to health. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And um, what about, obviously, males versus females? What, what have you noticed as, as the difference between between those two groups? Well, one of the one of the interesting things we released uh, late last year was when we were looking at psychological well-being, the area that was the demographic that struggled the most in psychological well-being was females forty, um, which at the time surprised me a little bit. I wasn't expecting that, but when I spoke to HR directors and spoke to my wife, um, <laughs> you know, it was made pretty clear to me that it was pretty obvious. You know, that competing demands and that that struggle between home and work and kids and and often you know the the female is the one that carries the burden of a lot of that not always but often yeah and i think that multiple demands placed on on that person there was a definite spike in that and when we spoke to psychologists and they seemed to indicate that was you know the primary reason and it's mainly the differences in in psychological that you see between the two groups or is there other aspects as well that you... No, they were the main difference. I mean, certainly females generally are healthier than males. Yeah. Um, as a general rule. Yeah. And that's because, you know, they have more of an interest in their health and, um, you know, they've probably been going to see doctors for a longer period of time rather because of the tests that are required rather than just when they're unwell. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, females are generally smarter than males. When <laughs> um, so generally that's what we see. Um, except for that psychological health area. Yeah. I guess when you look at the, the assessments that you provide, where does that fit in in terms of, of getting people to, to change their behaviours and, and place emphasis on their, their well-being? So as you would know, um, changing behaviour is hard. 
Yeah. It's such a simple thing to say. It's such a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, and so the, the way that we work in with a health program is we do two things. One, we detect disease. So every year we pick up a number of people that have got you know, pretty significant um, diseases or, or conditions that require fairly immediate attention. But there's a whole range, large group of other people that have got either risks that are there that haven't, that are potential risks that are going to come down, you know, down the track as they get older. Um, and really what our doctors and coaches work with them is, is raising the awareness of why, why it's important, but then trying to find what that intrinsic motivator is for that person to change. You know, the days of health professionals telling someone what to do and then expecting them to do it are gone. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. You know, it hasn't worked. Yeah. You know that from smoking. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's really working with that individual on changing things that they're ready to change. Yeah. And trying to tap into what that motivation for that person would be to change, whether that's family, whether it's being more efficient at work. Um, you know, those sort of things are, are what start that path of change. Yeah. Um, but it's hard. You know, life gets in the way. Yeah. Yeah, and as we were talking before, when you have setbacks and then having to get back into those habits and start those new habits again is often the, yeah, the hardest part. It is. Um, and there's no magic solution as well. Unfortunately, there's, I mean, we would all be out of a job if there was, <laughs> but uh, unfortunately there's no magic pill. And I guess the other one that was of interest to me as well, you, you recently have a bit of a partnership with the Classic Wallabies, um, yeah. looking at John Eels and Phil Kearns. How did that come about? Um. So Ian Ferry is the chairman of our board. He used to be the head of the New South Wales Union and, you know, has been around rugby all his life. And separate to that, John Eels was a client of ours for, for a long time. Um, he used to come through, you know, through different companies and self-funded for, for many years. And then he became an investor in our business and then he became a board member. And so that was our link to some of the wallabies that would come through as well. Um, which has been, you know, a good learning experience for us and, and interesting to, to liaise with those guys. Um, but, yeah, it was really through Ian and, and John that we started to get involved with them. And then I guess with, you know, that high-performance sporting world, a lot of these guys are now have gone on to, to be, mm. uh, you know, high-level in, in the executive corporate world. I mean, what are the similarities that you see between the demands there and, and that of athletes? I think um, you know, from the, the limited sort of dealings I guess I've had with elite athletes, both as an exercise scientist but, but you know, even now as a CEO, is, it's always struck me that, that a lot of them just have a work ethic that's second to none. You know, they're very driven people as a general rule, very focused on a single goal and you know, just the ability to work is, is incredible. Um, and I think they're good skills to take into the workforce. Um, obviously, the contacts and everything that come with that is, is helpful as well. But, yeah, that ability to, um, to be determined and hardworking and, you know, they're, they're pretty good traits to take in, um, you know, add in some communication skills and good listening. And I think they're pretty good traits to be a leader in the business. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always interesting to see how, how people do make that transition of uh, yeah. elite sportsmen into... The executive corporate world, and like you say, they, they often apply the same mindset to that, that new environment. We've seen, you know, we've seen some of the cases where they struggle as well. Yeah. Which is, the, you know, the sad cases, and, and you know, I think that's, um, that's all tied into that psychological well-being area as well. Yeah. And what about emerging trends in, in I guess, health assessment, but also the, the, the greater fitness world and health world? What do, you, what do you see as that 
coming up and looking like in the next 10 years? Well, the genetic aspect of it is interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, we've partnered with the Garvin Institute to do whole genome sequencing, which is, you know, the first sort of offering of that program in Australia, and that's interesting. Yeah. You know, that precision medicine eventually will change the way we do things, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, the ability to identify someone's risk genetically um, enables you to screen a lot earlier than than what we would. And we see that with, you know, the BRCA1 and 2, the, the success that's happened with that sort of screening program. Yeah. Um, and even in round pharmacogenetics, knowing what tablets work best for you compared to the average person, you know, that's going to change, you know, the way that we, we distribute medicines and, and the way that we treat illnesses. So I think I think genetics is really interesting. Um, it's, a, you know, it's obviously got its controversies and concerns about it, but I think that's a growing area that's, you know, that's just growing so fast. Yeah. Um, and coming down in price so quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, artificial intelligence is interesting. You know, the ability to diagnose disease off um, patterns or habits or, you know, even off scans or pathology results. You know, you wonder yeah. where that's going to go. Is it going to replace physicians? Yeah. Um, is, you know, it's all going to be on your iPhone. Is it going to replace yeah. radiologists, you know? Yeah. Um, so, the, you know, those sort of things, are emerging trends are pretty interesting. Um, I think that space is... is you know, just starting to take off a bit. Yeah. I mean, I, and I know we've spoken before about the genetic testing and, and obviously in our world as well, that uh, that personalization mm. aspect is, is quite exciting. What are, what are, I guess, some, some of the challenges around those sort of things? Well, the challenges at the moment is that there's a couple of challenges that we've encountered from a genetic testing point of view. One is, you know, a pretty basic insurance, um, you know, disclosure. Uh, there's some concerns that if you find something, um, you'll be exempt from some of the life insurance policies, and and that's a real concern. Um, the other one is that it's not you can't guarantee someone they're going to get the disease. Yeah. So, you know, we we made the decision, or the Garvin made the decision, to only test for diseases that were screenable and modifiable. Yeah. Um, rather than testing for diseases like dementia. And um, you know, those sort of diseases you can't actually stop or do anything about or really do early testing for yeah. at the moment. Um, so, you know, I think that's the right decision because you're you're not worrying someone unnecessarily when they can't do anything about it for a disease they may not get. Yeah. But some of the other diseases, you know, the ability to screen for bowel cancer from the age of 40 instead of 50 based on the genetic profile is, is a sensible decision to make that, that will prolong your life with early detection. Yeah, so from those sort of things, I think there's not a lot of controversy. Yeah, I know nice. some companies overseas are doing a whole gamut of tests, which I think is controversial. Ethically, yeah. Ethically, yeah. Um, yeah, that's it's exciting. It's, it, is. Uh, it, it is interesting and a little bit scary as well as yeah. to, to what that might look like. Uh, I guess to, to wrap up today, we might finish off with uh, a couple of rapid-fire questions. What's the worst health advice you've seen out there? Oh, where do you start? <laughs> I'll give you two. Vaccinations. <laughs> Anti-vaccination lobby um, is one that really annoys me. Uh, and look, I think there's a lot of diet confusion at the moment. Um, yeah. I think there's a confusion about whether carbohydrates are good or bad and people treat all carbohydrates as equal. And, you know, I think that's going to have an effect down the track um, around whole grain foods. There's a lot of confusion in the market about diet as well. Yeah. Why is, there, why, why is diet so confusing? I think there's a number of reasons. I think because there's no one size that fits all. And mm. I think probably in the past we've been a bit guilty of trying to have guidelines that are you know, 
the same for everyone. Yeah. Not everyone can eat the same foods. But, you know, obviously there's a lot of media attention on on different diets that get a lot of media coverage that, that get some results, but there's no long-term studies on them. And, yeah, I, I, I just think that um, we've lost our... We've complicated the diet message. You know? Yeah. You know, eat a lot of vegetables and... You know, don't eat too much sugar and watch what you drink. It's you know, it's not a hard message, but we've confused it pretty pretty much uh, the whole way. Made it quite complex. Yeah. Coming back to simple fundamentals once again. What about when you travel? I mean, you do a lot of traveling. What's your your best health hack? Look, probably it's it's two. One, and it's just what works for me. One is you've got to plan to be healthy when you travel because it's so easy to be unhealthy. Um, so I always try and book a hotel that's got a gym mm-hmm. um, as a first port of call I always try and take some healthy snacks with me because you never know when you're going to eat um, so it stops you from going and grabbing crap from the shop and I avoid the breakfast buffet because <laughs> I just cannot I know my weakness so I'll go back for a second and a third helping at breakfast when I would never ever do that you got a soft spot for Danish pastries. Danish pastries. All that <laughs> stuff I don't get at home because I'm married to a dietitian. <laughs> but no, I um, I either get room service or I usually go out to a cafe and grab a coffee and something because, um, you know, you don't... Temptation's removed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if you can invite one person to dinner, who and why? Um, it's a hard one. I think, look... I have to say I'm pretty impressed with the New Zealand Prime Minister. You know, I think she's an incredible leader. And I think this week we've seen just her empathy and, and the way she's handled herself. I think she'd be a pretty impressive person to meet with. Um, so, yeah, I think she'd be a pretty impressive person to learn from. Um, Maybe invite a few Australian politicians. Yeah. And... <laughs> I don't think but... I would. <laughs> um, I'd always love to catch up with Keith Richards as well and find out just how he still is alive. It's amazing. Um, so I'll probably have two guests. But yeah, I think the New Zealand Prime Minister would be pretty impressive to, to, to learn from, to be honest. Yeah, I hear. If people would like to arrange a health assessment, where should they go? Where should they find out more information about what you offer? Look, easiest place is probably to come to our website, you know, um, executivehealthsolutions.com.au or our consumer website, which is lifehealthassessment.com.au. Um, that's got all our information and contact details for each state. They can contact us through there. Perfect. Thanks for, for coming on for the first episode. Well, I'm honoured. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to the Sweat Equity Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button or connect with me on Instagram at greg.stark. Or to train with my team and I, head to betterbeing.com.au. Thank you.